Ah, yes! Welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. If you have not written a review, left a rating, or subscribed to the show yet, make sure that you do so. My guest today, and this is going to be a unique perspective because as we go through everything surrounding COVID-19 and how baseball is going to return, I want to talk from a different sports perspective, and that sport is hockey. Joining me is my good friend. He is the voice of the Reading Royals, the ECHL affiliate of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's a graduate of Syracuse University, a former minor league baseball broadcaster himself, but his forte is hockey. Joining me from his home in New Jersey, Mr. David Fine. Hey, Greg, it's uh, wonderful to wonderful to be on with you for the first time, and uh, thanks for Thanks for the invite and uh, looking forward to it. I've been asking a lot of players that I've had on what it was like when spring training got shut down. But unlike anybody that I've talked to, you guys were actually in season. The ECHL season has been canceled, but you guys had 12 games left to go before the season was over. So what was it like for you when it stopped And then when you got the word that it was outright canceled, because for those that don't know how the minor leagues and hockey work, there's a lot of juniors leagues that players can play in as amateurs. And then there are only two levels of the minor leagues in affiliated hockey. There's the ECHL, which is basically the equivalent of baseball double A. And then there's the AHL, which is the equivalent of triple A. And very rarely do you see players go from the ECHL directly to the NHL. Mostly people are shuttling between the NHL and the AHL. And a lot of times you'll see guys play in one level the year before and the next level the year after if it's AHL to ECHL. I may have explained a little bit more than is actually true, but just give me the idea of the scenario surrounding your entire organization when it stopped and then once you heard there was going to be no more season. Well, Greg, first off, um, it continues uh, to be disappointing. Um, that, that's the the primary emotion that even it almost happened two months ago on uh, our season was officially postponed on March the 12th. Thursday, March the 12th was the day that all the leagues uh, postponed after the Rudy Gobert news came out on Wednesday the 11th. But to give you a little bit of an inside perspective, so we were uh, in Wheeling, West Virginia, uh, five hours from from Reading, PA, um, about an hour from Pittsburgh or so. And uh, we had played a school day game on the 10th, Tuesday the 10th. And so it was two days before our season got canceled. And I remember when we were going to Wheeling the day before the game, um, there was a little bit of talk on the bus about something is going to happen. This is coming. If somebody in the sports world, but it, you know, you're focused on the task at hand, which was for the Royals. They had clinched a playoff spot two days before uh, the season or two days before that trip on uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts. So it was the earliest clinch date in Royals history of a month before the season was over 12 games left. They were already going to the playoffs, which in hockey, because of the the point system, sometimes teams are in it longer because you can not necessarily make up ground as quickly, but you can get two points or one point or hang around for a little bit longer. 
Whereas if you were 12 games back in baseball with 12 to go, you, you kind of know your fate. But the Royals were flying high. And the league was having a really good financial year. The Royals were having an excellent financial year. And I remember that when I was sitting up in the press box for that morning game and 5,000 screaming West Virginian children came in that I, I just didn't want to leave the press box. Like I didn't know anything about what was going to happen the next day, but there were being cases reported in Pennsylvania, I think around that time and certainly on the East coast and certainly where you're, where you're broadcasting from in San Francisco. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I'm just going to sit up here the entire game. Normally I might go walk around, get the feel, uh, when the doors open, you know, and, and make my way back up to the booth before the pregame show and then sort of relax before it's go time. But I mean, I didn't want to use the bathroom, touch any, you know, <laughs> high touch surfaces. And the players were kind of feeling the same way. And it was really eerie the day that the season was canceled. The Royals held a practice, their last practice as a team. And uh, on the Thursday game, they go through a traditional ritual with the team that our head coach has called Bagel Boy. And what that means is that everybody essentially has to take a shot, a far range shot at the net, including the goalies. And there's specific rules about it. Can't hit certain things. It can't hit the post or anything and go in. Uh, It has to be in the air just to give you a quick sense of it. And the one that fails to do it out of all the players, the last one uh, left has to buy bagels for the entire team the next day. And it's really fun. Guys are are yelling and getting on each other, and it gets competitive. It's like it's not quite the uh, dream team NBA practice in 1992, but I mean it's really competitive and it's really fun to watch. And the, the coming off the ice that day again, this is now the day after the Gobert thing happened. The players were coming over to me, and even the other team's broadcaster was there and saying like, "What's going on?" Like they were they were disappointed, but it was it was shocking. And that day, being in the front office with knowing that there was still a season to go and still more of the season left was, it was just, I've never had a day working in sports like that. I know it's kind of a long answer, but it was such a unique scenario um, that the season was canceled emotionally that you have gone through. And that was just a postponement at that time. But we knew that the season would eventually be canceled for the ECHL, which it was a few days later. But I mean, it was just a, it was sort of a feeling of, of, you, you helplessness and it's still to this day eats at the people in our front office and our team that we never got a shot to try to uh, dethrone the defending Kelly cup champion, Newfoundland growlers who were in first place. We were in second uh, in the playoffs. So um, I know it's kind of a long answer, but it's still, it still hurts a lot knowing that the season will not be completed. So where does minor league hockey go from here? Because I know in minor league baseball, a season with no fans means a loss of revenue and major league baseball has put in a contraction plan for 42 minor league teams. So a lot of teams could have seen their final seasons already happen. But what is the scenario with minor league hockey? I know that there is some subsidies from the NHL to some of these minor league franchises. Some of them are owned by the NHL. Some of them are owned by independent owners. But what does this do to the ECHL as a business model going forward and almost not knowing when the next season is going to start? Yeah, I mean, that's been a a talk for uh, some time, Greg, which is it's like, how do you salvage um, financially 
when think about it, I know that there's contracts that minor league baseball teams uh, still have to fulfill that they've signed, you know, the, the sponsor for the, you know, game night graphic. I mean, what do you do, right? They had 140 or so game night graphics coming to them with their name on it. And, you know, how do you make good on that? And uh, uh, when they might be the, not only the team, but the business itself that's sponsoring that might be struggling financially. A lot of what ECHL teams um, have done can speak from this perspective to make sure that they remain in good light with their sponsors is there were 12 games left in the season, plus for the uh, teams that were going to the playoffs postseason as well with those sponsors. And, you know, a lot of what we're doing right now is just reaching out and being like, hey, are you guys are you guys okay? Um, I, I think that that can be lost as a nuance in business is, you know, just kind of like calling up your neighbor saying like, hey, you know, how you doing? Like, <laughs> how's everything going? Um, and yeah, like I'm sure there's going to be some teams, not only in the ECHL, but maybe even the AHL that are going to take a big loss as every business is and has and will continue to. Um, and for the teams that are on the on the edge, so to speak, of does their owner really want to invest in this, that's going to be a, a decision point. And from the Royals' perspective, we are blessed that in Reading, Pennsylvania, our ownership has been wonderful about this and supported us and knows that we were having our best, you know, attendance season. And we, we had the biggest increase in attendance from a year to year since like one of our opening seasons of our team history. And we're getting into year 20. Um, and so we're blessed in Reading that we have a really strong ownership group. And I just I, I feel like there's going to be a sort of, you know, you can put your put your you know, money where your mouth is for uh, all the owners to say, you know, hey, do we really support this product? And they have a feeling that, you know, most will and probably everyone will just because of the uniqueness of the circumstance and the feeling that when the games do come back, if hopefully that's in October from a hockey perspective, if not earlier, but um, if not, then when the games do come back, I mean, the outpouring in the communities for, you know, supporting something that's just normal, I feel is going to be tremendous. Um, and, you know, with the Royals, we're already planning to honor first responders and, you know, have a have series of how we're actually honoring first responders that have helped, you know, not just police and firemen or, you know, people working in hospitals, but grocery workers, et cetera, et cetera. You, can get, you know, the list goes on, goes on forever. You know, we're talking about do we do an Amazon driver's night or something, right? Because uh, all we do is see Amazon trucks uh, around here in North Jersey delivering things nowadays. So. Um, I mean, it, there's going to be some good to come out of this at the end of the end of the tunnel, hopefully. But um, right now it is it is difficult. But I would say that it's not nearly as bad as the situation that minor league baseball finds itself right in right now. Um, from a Reading, Pennsylvania perspective, the Reading Fighting Phillies are the most arguably the most popular team in double A baseball next to maybe like the Hartford Yard Goats. And you can name a few others off the top of your head. Um, but they are, they do an awesome job and it's like, they're probably not going to have a season unless something dramatically changes, which it looks like it's not, but, um, but yeah, I mean, my, minor league hockey surviving. And I feel like people in minor league hockey feel for the people in baseball right now. We're talking with David Fine, the voice of the Reading Royals of the ECHL here on MLB morning coffee, giving us a hockey perspective. Now, David, you had told me that while the ECHL and all of the junior leagues have had their seasons outright canceled at this point, the AHL is still going. 
because the AHL effectively has to continue playing if there's going to be an NHL season because there needs to be a developmental pool to bring guys up from if you need. And the AHL, unlike minor league baseball, can't just play in training complexes. That's not necessarily how this all works. So what are the challenges that the AHL is going to face at this point if they are able to resume their season? Which is going to be, and, and, and I will say, I think it's going to be more difficult for them to resume their seasons than the NHL product. Yeah, uh, well, the AHL model is similar to the AAA model in minor league baseball. It's, you know, you need attendance to survive um, the expenses in hockey. I mean, you think of how expensive it is to play hockey and then you don't even have to make, you know, that's before. Imagine if you had to make the ice yourself, right? Uh, and maintain the ice. So there's a lot of expenses that go into hockey. It's obviously a more physical game uh, when it comes to injuries and repairs and uh, things of that nature. But uh, right now, the situation with the AHL is as follows. Um, and I'm going by my source here, which is the uh, lead AHL beat writer for NHL.com. His name's Patrick Williams. Um, he covers the Hershey Bears pretty extensively, uh, which is how I've gotten a chance to know Patrick. He's wonderful. Uh, the AHL has a conference call with their board of governors set for two days from now, Friday afternoon. Um, there's teams coast to coast in the American Hockey League. Um, obviously, a lot in California where you are as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, their challenges are going to be that one, there's teams that I know for a fact have taken their ice out. Um, unfortunately, the situation's dictated in a couple of East Coast cities uh, because of the severity of the outbreak that uh, AHL arenas have been used as potential overflow. And I know in Worcester, Massachusetts, in our league, there's eight, I think the number was there's 800 beds set up on the floor of the DCU Center Arena, which is a 10,000 seat um, arena that we were in just a week before everything happened, which is surreal. I, I made somewhat of a dark humor joke that registration was by the visiting broadcast booth <laughs> when I found that out, but I uh, was talking with their broadcaster. But I mean, it's a really serious, terrible situation. The challenges are as follows, that basically, regardless of next season's plans, it's going to be tough financially if there's 30 to 50 million people in this country that are unemployed or furloughed. So that's one thing. Um, if the games are being held without fans, it's tough with a financial formula for the independently owned teams. It's one thing for the, um, uh, for the, uh, what's the best way to say this? It's one thing for the teams that are owned by their NHL parent club like the San Jose Barracuda are owned by the San Jose Sharks. That's cool. Great. They, the Sharks might be able to foot the bill because they're an NHL team. But how does an independently owned team such as the Syracuse Crunch, who I used to uh, intern for, they're owned by Howard Dolgan, who's an independent New York businessman and a wonderful guy. Uh, but it makes it tougher on Howard than it does on the San Jose Sharks just because the San Jose Sharks are making a ton more money and have a lot more assets from their NHL owners versus an AHL owner. Um, additionally, airline travel is a big deal. In minor league baseball, the leagues are set up in a way that unless I guess you're, if you're in the PCL, you, you know this better than I do, um, but in the Eastern League of AA, in the Midwest League of, sing, of you know low class A, um, there's no airline travel unless your owner wants to do something special for the finals or something like that. And in the AHL specifically, and even in the ECHL, 
there are times that you need to fly. The Newfoundland Growlers play on an island 1,800 miles from Philadelphia, basically. And so in order to get to Newfoundland, you need to fly. Well, in the AHL, what's the problem with the airline in, in the ECHL problem with the airlines right now? Obviously, there's not a lot of flights going around. Who knows when they're going to come back? And the airlines are losing $10 billion a year, whereas a bus is just easier in the Midwest League or in AA or you know other leagues that don't require that. So because it's all commercial travel, how are you going to strike a balance? It's really interesting. And again, for anyone that's more interested in reading a detailed version of what I just said, uh, the source that you want to follow is Patrick Williams on Twitter. Uh, just Google Patrick Williams NHL Twitter. Uh, it'll pop right up. He gives a really interesting account of the specific challenges facing the ECHL, AHL more specifically, and minor league hockey in general. So, David, that brings me now to the NHL. And to clarify a point that you had brought up about travel, in minor league baseball, it is the AAA league's that fly commercial, the International League and the PCL for pretty much any scenario except for ones like Sacramento to Reno where you can actually take a bus. But pretty much it's commercial flights everywhere at the AAA level in baseball. So now we move to the NHL and the NHL and the NBA were both very close to approaching playoff season. But I feel like both leagues are completely in flux about whether or not the season starts again. I know the NHL had floated out a bubble plan in North Dakota that quickly got shut down. And I'm comparing it to baseball. You have way more human contact in hockey than you do in baseball. In baseball, the only time you really have to come into contact with another individual is if you're sliding into a base. So if you're trying to turn two, you're sliding into a base. Now, the fielders are all holding the baseball at one point or another, and you might end up seeing baseballs get tossed out at different points in time. But in hockey, the puck is never touching a guy's hands. Guys are wearing gloves, but people are hitting each other all the time. There is a ton of human contact. So from a health and safety perspective, what are the challenges that the NHL faces in coming back? And what are they going to be able to do in order to try and finish the season? Yeah, I think that that's the nobody knows. Um, they're talking about hub cities. Would they go to, you know, some uh, a hub city outside of the NHL? That's been axed. What meaning a hub city like they were talking about? Do you go to Grand Forks, North Dakota, home of the uh, University of North Dakota Fighting Hawks, the college program that's really successful. They said, no, we can't do that. The facilities aren't the same. Um, and so now they're talking about hub cities as, you know, would you play in St. Louis if the case numbers were down and, you know, you would have a sort of a tournament-like setup that would mirror what the Stanley Cup playoffs were. But it's actually really interesting. So the U.S.-Canada border poses a number of challenges to this because right now the US Canada borders closed until at least mid May. And further, there are just more European players as well. And the Europe US situation is also in question of how you're going to be able to um, argue that you should, you could fly players overseas from across the pond. Um, and there's a large Russian population, obviously, that plays in the NHL and Western and, or, well, mainly Eastern Europe, I'd say. 
uh, as well as Sweden, Finland, etc. Canada is going to be more conservative, though, than the United States in reopening. It's just the way it is. Canada right now, and I know this from talking with Canadians over the last month, they're not thrilled with how the U.S. has handled this because in Canada, they just shut everything down and said, sorry, you're going to be inside. And there's no, they're not storming, you know, Justin Trudeau's house with AR-15s. They just banned assault weapons in Canada. And so it's like, it's just, it's a more uh, uh, socially, uh, there's more socially uh, accepting of government orders because they realize that the government is trying to help them. And that's why their case numbers are at, I think it's like 65,000. It was around the start of the week anyway. A week ago, it was like at 58,000. So, I mean, that's a population of 30 million. And they have one of the biggest cities in North America with Toronto, and they've done a really good job. But the provinces in Canada are more similar to the you know United States and how its strategy for reopening for large gatherings, let's say, uh, because they are not allowing large gatherings for uh, until a certain date, which is in the summer, which eliminates the idea of fans. But they are allowing their provinces to reopen on their own timelines. But the difference still is that the people aren't trying to move those start dates up and they're allowing the stay at home orders to go until this thing is really gone. Uh, I was just reading that in Quebec, uh, which has the Montreal Canadiens in it, they have banned all festivals and sporting events through August 31st with fans. So there's no way unless the NHL was talking about a Labor Day start that they could have fans in Montreal with the Canadiens for a playoff game. Um, So that just makes it even more difficult than the U.S. because – to my knowledge, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, what the team in Vancouver and, um, and rookie ball, I think is the only baseball team that's across the border, but in the U S uh, or not just in the U S in the ECHL, AHL, there's a number of Canadian teams in both leagues, plus the NHL, which just adds to the difficulty. I'll have to say this, by the way, in regards to what Canadians are feeling like with the United States handling of COVID-19. I know you and I have talked about this several times. I think the way that the United States has handled this is quite frankly embarrassing. And the fact that the Korean baseball organization is playing regular season games right now just shows that if the United States had handled this better, that maybe we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Because here are some statistics I gave on yesterday's podcast and whether or not you know this or not. South Korea has a population of 51.6 million people in the landmass of 38,000 square miles. California has a population of 38 million people in 164,000 square miles. The largest city in South Korea, Seoul, is over a million and a half people larger than New York City. So my point being is that if it can be done in South Korea... It can be done anywhere if people are taking the precautions. And from the NHL and AHL perspective and from the players' perspective, it has to be really frustrating for, in particular, the Canadian franchises who know that they've done everything right as a country, and yet they can't get out of the incompetence of the U.S. And I'm just going to say it like that. You know, 
it, it is it is utter incompetence without saying names. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's really obvious that certain countries have handled this better than the United States. And there's a number of reasons for that. And I always, you know, I think we've talked about this just catching up on the phone over the last few months, Greg, which is that uh, my uh, part of my family is now Australian, essentially, after my father was remarried to someone who's Australian. And Australia has virtually no deaths and no cases. And I just, it, it boggles the mind that Australia, which was dealing with more Chinese influence, arguably from the start, than the United States uh, handled it better. And they basically have been under stay-at-home orders for months because they just don't want it to grow. And there's a sense of community there and in Canada that is maybe more present than what we're feeling right now throughout most of the U.S., um, I was looking at pictures of people in Central Park in New York City over the weekend, and there's a lot of people sitting on the grass that there was probably people sitting there before you got there. And I'm thinking to myself, what, you know, it's not everybody's doing it. New York City's done a really good job overall. Um, but I know that parts of the country just aren't. Um, and it's really unfortunate that that's happening because it's just, it's going to lead to sports taking longer to come back, which I think is the thing that hurts you and I the most. We are talking with David Fine here, the voice of the ECHL's Reading Royals on MLB Morning Coffee. David, I'm sure you've had a chance to catch up with a lot of the players on your team because you have a mix of guys that have yet to break into the NHL or guys that have had a cup of coffee at the big level. So for them, knowing how minor league sports are in such danger compared to the big league product, what are their feelings like at this point? Do they have feelings of insecurity? Are they cautiously optimistic? Or are they just unwilling to have a feeling because they don't really know how they feel? I think that third one is a perfect description of most hockey players. Uh, more than any sport I've ever worked in, hockey players are very very team first guys. They don't like to talk about themselves. They don't like to talk about how they felt or what they're feeling. It's very, it can be dry unless you kind of get them out of their comfort zone or you, or you're like, even today, later today, I'll be doing a, a, a Facebook live chat with one of our players and I'll try to get him to talk maybe more about his teammates success than himself. Cause if I said, you know, Hey Frank, you led the team in goals this year. Um, you know, why did that happen? He's not going to say, oh, you know, I've been, I did this. It's going to be, well, my line mates were setting me up and I really love playing with Corey and Swaves and a like, and you don't even say the full names. It's just all nicknames. Right. And, uh, so yeah, like hockey players are very, are very trained to defer praise and also to sort of pass away their emotions and just sort of allow it to, well, hey, whatever, whatever the case is, we'll do it. Like there's not guys might complain about, oh, we got to go to three cities in three days and, you know, play a three and three and get in at five in the morning on, you know, three straight mornings or whatever. But they're not once the it's game time, it doesn't matter to them. Like they go out and they play as hard as they can all the time. Um, and that's one of the joys of working in hockey as it relates to the current situation. They're just staying in shape and saying, hey, like, you know, if I'm needed, I'm I'm ready to come back. That's uh, that has to be the prevailing feeling. They're staying healthy, then they're kind of just you know hoping to be ready to go whenever. Um, 
I can imagine it's that way at the NHL perspective and in the ECHL. Um, guys are enjoying a couple extra weeks of the offseason, uh, but still working for hopefully AHL tryout opportunities next summer. And then they can hopefully make an AHL, AHL team next year. I mean, that's, I feel like hockey hasn't really, the player's mentality hasn't really been changed other than from, like I was talking about earlier, a specific Royals perspective where the Royals organization obviously was really upset that the season got canceled because the team was having such a great year. We thank you very much for your time today, David Fine here on MLB Morning Coffee. You have a podcast as well that you run through the Reading Royals. Where are people able to listen to that and what is it called? Yeah, it's called the Roaring Twenties Podcast and uh, it examines 20 years of hockey for the Reading Royals. Um, It's on Apple uh, Podcasts, it's on Spotify, it's on Google Play, it's on Anchor.fm. It is uh, wherever, quite literally, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's on 11 different platforms. Again, the Roaring Twenties podcast. And uh, there's some funny stories on there. And I'd say that because uh, minor league hockey travel, specifically in the UCHL, gets crazy. Um, Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have our current director of youth hockey who used to play for the uh, Royals for two years. He was Jonathan Quick's uh, backup during the 2007-2008 season with Reading. Um, Jonathan Quick, the now two-time Stanley Cup champion goalie for the LA Kings, started his career uh, with the Reading Royals in Pennsylvania. So we'll ask him a little bit about that. And uh, he was telling me yesterday about a team he was playing for, not the Royals, but the Dayton Bombers, now defunct, as they were getting ready to go under. They made the finals and they uh, didn't have enough sticks, so they were trying to pawn sticks off of the uh, pawn sticks off the other team at a discounted cost. So that's going to be tomorrow's podcast with uh, with Terry having a little bit of fun and catching up on some old school minor league hockey memories. That sounds like the movie Semi Pro come to life. I mean, dude, the ECHL is uh, at least it was. Now it's now it's so much more refined. But if you talk '90s ECHL or early 2000s ECHL hockey. And even AHL hockey, probably the the stories that the stories that you'll hear in the one of our players came out of retirement and was playing in the Amish Hockey League uh, to stay in shape in case he needed to come back. And then there was a roster shortage and he was playing in, again, the Amish Hockey League. He was playing with Amish players in Reading, Pennsylvania. The coach called him back. Um, he, you know, sort of unofficially retired and said, we might need you for a game or two. Sure enough, roster shortage didn't get, you know, a player coming back that they were supposed to come to Wheeling, West Virginia. And after playing with uh, some Amish folks for a couple months, he scored three points in his first professional game back. And he's the all-time point scorer for the Reading, all-time leading point scorer for the Royals now, Ryan Crothers. That was our story last week. So before I let you go, the Amish Hockey League. So I'm thinking of the movie Kingpin where Randy Quaid's character is bowling like 295s, but then Woody Harrelson's character realizes that the Amish do everything twice as long, so he was doing it over 15 frames. So are, are there five periods in Amish hockey? Uh, I don't know. Um, my sense was that it was a uh, that there were three-period men's league games and that the uh, league continues to flourish. If you Google Amish Hockey League right now, um, there are there are certainly uh, certainly some leagues, especially in uh, Berks County, Pennsylvania. I have got to do a story on that. Uh, if I <laughs> the Amish Hockey League. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah, I knew I was opening a can of worms. That's one of those check if you're listening things, but it is a uh, it's a true story. It's a true story. It was a that was a really that was a really fun moment. And I when I first heard it, I was in such disbelief that I turned my mic off, Greg, because I was like, wait, I heard this right, right? And I was like, I almost was talking to myself with the mic off. And then I'm like, did you just say this? And then we got into it a little bit more. And it was uh it was a really fun story. And it was also, I mean, imagine you're playing in the Amish hockey league to stay in shape. And then you come back and you score three points in your first game back, a goal and two assists. By the way, he played the next night in Reading after getting home at three in the morning uh, to play, you know, the next day in, in a different city, his home base. And he had two points against the Fort Wayne Comets, one of the most historic minor league franchises ever. So he had five points in two games coming out of retirement. Ryan Crothers, legend. Awesome guy, by the way. Lives in Charlotte now and runs the uh, Charlotte Rush uh, youth program down there. And he's the assistant coach in Pittsburgh for Robert Morris University. David Fine, everybody, here on MLB Morning Coffee. Have a great rest of your day. And as always, we will catch you in the AM.